a river attendeth my need and sorrows like seas rivers raving whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with
days of kindness he lavished on us his blood was the payment his life was the cause we stood neath the dirt we could never afford and our sins they
Darkest places I will call Incline your ear to me Pray. 
City Church. It's so good to see all of you today. Um, for our call to worship this morning, hear these words from Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud crashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh God. We want to fulfill this command to praise you this morning. Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to do so and remove the veil of sin and selfishness that covers our eyes 
from seeing your glory in our lives and in this world. God, we confess at the outset of this service that we have come with ulterior motives, motives that we may not fully even be aware of, and perhaps motives of making ourselves feel better by attending a church service rather than resting in the completed work of Jesus for our salvation. Or perhaps our motives are of obligation to some cultural ritual rather than a wholehearted pursuit of you. God, whatever these reasons for being here, may, may we all be able to walk in this room um, with our desires stained with sin at some level. But God, please replace any sinful reasons for attending today with a heart that simply desires to worship you for what Christ has done for us. God, help us to stop striving on our own to earn your affection and simply know that you fully love us in Christ. And may our hearts be glad in you this morning and may we sing from a place of gratitude. God, we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Would you stand with us this morning? And we're going to sing, I raise a hallelujah together. Hippo too. <laughs> oh, oh well, too late. Here we go.
He 
here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day. Up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his, and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. And on Christ the solid rock. I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Sing that again. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. The power of Christ in me, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hands till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. Yeah. 
Good morning. Welcome to City Church. My name is Chipper. I'm one of the pastors here. We are church aspiring to be an authentic community, walking with God in our city. It's good to be with you, um, especially those of you, I will say this morning, who are experiencing afflictions and in need of the comfort of God. That's why we were just singing that song, and uh, you will see why we're singing that song once we begin our new series this morning in the book of Second Corinthians. I would love to get to know you. Our staff would get to, love to get to know you. We can do that a few ways, please. Um, I'm usually just wandering aimlessly up here by myself, looking to talk to people after the service. Uh, don't let me do that this time. Come say hello. Uh, seriously, we would love to get to know you. Uh, we also put a connection card in your bulletin each week, uh, and the reason we do that primarily is so we can pray for you. So if you would consider filling out that connection card with a prayer request, you can put your name on it, you can have it be anonymous, however you want to do that, and then just stick it in the seat pocket in front of you. We pick those up after the service, and then we really do pray for you um, each week as a staff. So consider doing that. There's an online connection card, citychurchgnv.com slash connection. So if you go to our website, if you go to that URL, uh, you can fill out that same connection card on your phone. That's a great resource for you, too. If you want to indicate interest in the life of our church, serving on a ministry team, uh, being involved in a community group, which I'll say more about in just a minute. Um, put that on the card. We're very responsive. We'll get back to you usually in 48 hours or so. There's a hospitality table in the back. that has a ton of resources that so just sit there, and they have your name on it, um, missions resources, more extended bulletins that have even more information than the bulletin that you have that you walk in with. And there's even free books over there. There's, there's a lot of really great stuff, so consider checking that out after the service as well. We worship a generous God. Part of our responsive worship as the people of God is giving generously. You can give online, citychurchgmv.com slash give, or there's a brown box with some blue envelopes in the back of the sanctuary, and that's available for you as well. A couple of, in my opinion, pretty fantastic adult education opportunities, which are beginning this week. We've been talking about it probably the last three, four weeks, probably too much. This is the last time we're going to talk about it because it's starting now. Uh, so tomorrow night... We're beginning what will be an eight-week class, Lord willing, called A Biblical Theology of Marriage. We have spoken about this class um, at significant length in the past. That starts tomorrow night at 7 o'clock right here in the sanctuary. goes to about 8.45. That'll be eight weeks. This is for married people. This is for single people. This is for all the people. We're going to be talking about marriage. We're going to be talking about singleness. We're going to be talking about gender. We're going to be talking about sexuality. Basically, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to take a look at what biblical theology is. We're going to use marriage as a test case, trace that theme from the book of Genesis to Revelation, and we're going to tease out all the implications, Lord willing, for the glory of God and your personal benefit. So I would love to see you here tomorrow. I'll be doing most of the teaching for this. starts again tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, and then ongoing for the next eight weeks. We are also launching, starting tomorrow night, and also Tuesday morning, we'll explain what that means in just a second, um, a brand new women's Bible study. And we have two people that are going to come up and tell you a lot more about what this fantastic study is and how you can be involved. So would you welcome Kristen and Leslie. Super. So this is the last time we're going to say this because it's starting tomorrow. <laughs> um, we are studying the book of Joshua. And this, for the first time this fall, we are going to have two meeting options. So tomorrow night is our first meeting, and it's on Zoom. So every Monday night at, on Zoom uh, from 8 to 9, it's a quick hour. It goes by really fast because we have a lot to talk about. Um, and the beautiful thing about Zoom is we've actually had people from California join us and 
Canada in the past, so um, it's really great if you are busy during the day and you can join us uh, from 8 to 9 in the mm -hmm. evening. Um, it's an 11-week study, and there's a workbook, and there is a little bit of homework, but don't let that scare you. Um, mm -hmm. And if there is um, also the first time this fall, we are doing an option for Tuesday mornings. So that is every the same material, same book, um, but Tuesday mornings from 9.30 to 11.30. And child care is, avi is available. Mm -hmm. So um, if you have any questions or if this sounds interesting to you, let me know. Um, our workbooks are available, so if you're already signed up, you can get your workbook um, at the hospitality table or send me an email, um, which is in this um, bulletin. And... Um, we're going to have a, a really good time. It's been really great. Um, if you're on the fence about joining us, mm -hmm. um, please come talk to me. And um, Leslie would really like to share her experience um, in Bible study to get you off the fence. Yes. Hello, everyone. So I am Leslie. I am a veteran Bible <laughs> study student. I will graduate soon, but still continue, I think. Um, I started Bible study from the first time, I think from the very first time women's Bible study started here at City Church, and it's been amazing. And I'm not just saying that because Kristen and Chipper are watching me, but it's like <laughs> the truth. Um, I think I have had so many new friends, a new family, a sisterhood, because it's like so many different women from different stages in life, different ages, and just different opinions that are, that are different from mine. And so it's been very helpful to learn more about how other people think and just expand my knowledge base, deepen my relationship with God, and just overall change my life. I think it has added a lot of value to my life as a new wife as well, hearing other wives' experiences, other women's experiences, even not having children, hearing about mother's experiences. It's just been amazing. And of course, if you like routine in your life like I do, this is perfect because if you're not able to keep up with your Bible study during the week, you can do that on Mondays at a scheduled time with people. It's like going to class, but much more fun. You can eat snacks during the time. You know, there's so much in your PJs. I mean, come on. At this point, you're sold, right? So we hope to see you tomorrow and every other week after that. Awesome. Thank you, guys. You always use your connection card, too. So if you're interested in anything that they talked about, just make a note on your connection card, and we will get back to you very quickly. Our scripture passage this morning is from the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. This is the beginning of a, a series that will keep us busy, really, starting today until Easter, with some breaks. We'll have a break for Advent and some other things, but hopefully you're ready for some stability here. This is actually the fourth book we've preached from in the past four weeks, but that is changing now. It's time for some consistency. Scripture passage will be up on the screen. If you have a Bible, we would encourage you to pull that out and follow along with us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. If you're having a hard time finding it in your Bibles, it's after 1 Corinthians. How about that? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Let me read this passage for us, keeping in mind that this is God's holy word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the afflictions we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Let's pray together. For this is a, a precious book filled with, I mean, preeminently timing information and encouragement. For the past couple of years and much longer for some people, we have been hurting a lot, experiencing many afflictions. And so I do pray that you would use this book to encourage us in Christ Jesus, to help us keep going. You do not promise that you will take us out of these afflictions, but you will promise, you do promise, that you will help us keep going and strengthen us and help us endure. We love you, Lord. Pray that your spirit would be beyond active this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, yesterday we marked the 20-year anniversary of 9-11, and of course this past week there have been various events and news broadcasts and, and biopics meant to help us remember those tragic moments and of course their fallout. This year my own remembering feels a lot more like comparing, especially since we're living in the most intense season of fear and uncertainty that we've experienced as a country since 9-11. The, the Great Recession of 2007 to 2009 is probably our only real competitor, but I think we've got that beat. There are some similarities between the events of 9-11 and the events of the past couple of years. Neither set of circumstances has been kind to the travel industry, especially the airline industry. Uh, both 9-11 and COVID have been petri dishes for various kinds of conspiracy theories. But the feel of these tragedies, especially when it comes to our national psyche, has been very different. I'm not the only one that's noticed this. 9-11 was relatively unifying and galvanizing, if you remember that. United we stand. We came together in many ways nationally. COVID has not been unifying and galvanizing at all. In fact, it might as well be a pair of social scissors 
especially when you add political and racial tensions to the mix. <clears throat> so now, as we encounter exhausting, seemingly endless waves of suffering and affliction, we are arguing about a lot of things, too many things. We are arguing about masks. I try to make a list. Masks, vaccines, variants, mandates, ivermectin, schools, stadiums, stimulus checks, politicians, election integrity, policing, critical race theory, foreign policy, is Jimmy Fallon funny, Kanye's spiritual integrity, etc., etc. Well, I hate to do this to you, but I need to add one more item to the argument list. Something that's flying underneath the radar, yet highly significant. We don't agree on what it means to be strong, especially in the face of adversity and suffering. We do not agree. Some of us associate strength with sacrifice, some of us with rugged independence, others with emotional fortitude, others with vulnerability, others with being true to yourself. You want some evidence that we aren't sure what it means to be strong, especially when we're considering the relationship between strength and adversity? How about our polarized, very polarized, national response just a month ago when Simone Biles withdrew from most, from most of her Olympic um, events. Was, we, we could not agree as a country if that was strength or weakness. Thankfully, we have at our disposal the book of 2 Corinthians, which I kid you not, tackles the issues of strength, weakness, suffering, and how all of those things fit together. Issues that as we're going to see, lie at the root of many of the other things that we're lying about. Oh, sorry, arguing about. Issues that, quite honestly, they, they make or break our decisions about following Jesus or not in seasons of great difficulty. And check out where this book is going. This is how nuts this book is and countercultural. Eventually, the author is going to make the following Remarkable statement in chapter 12. This is incredible. This is what the author is going to say in chapter 12. We're going to get there. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What in the world is that? Seriously. So as you can see, we're, we're about to get into the good stuff here. And perhaps by the end of this series, you're going to see why this just might be my favorite book of the Bible. It is my favorite book, but you're not allowed to have one. <laughs> Two reflections this morning as we begin the book of 2 Corinthians with an introductory passage that helps us understand what to make of God in the midst of suffering and comes as close as any passage in Scripture to explaining the whys of suffering. Reflection number one, the character of God in the presence of suffering. 
And then number two, the purposes of God and the presence of suffering. Character of God and the presence of suffering. And then number two, the purposes of God and the presence of suffering. We'll come to that first reflection in just a moment. But first I'm going to tell you the story behind the story, beginning (laughs) with a rather disorienting a labeling problem or math problem, whatever you want to call it. The book of 2 Corinthians appears to be the fourth of four formal letters that a guy by the name of Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, a letter he wrote between his second and third visits to Corinth. So 2 Corinthians, but it's the fourth letter. You got that? And not to push you over the edge or anything, but 1 Corinthians is the second letter. And here's what's going on. The Apostle Paul was a Jewish religious official who used to persecute followers of Jesus in the immediate aftermath of Jesus' resurrection. So Jesus, apparently, he rose again. At least that was the story that was going around. And so Paul, being a faithful Jewish religious official, went around persecuting these Jesus followers. But when he was traveling from Jerusalem to Damascus to do some more of this persecuting, he had a very miraculous encounter with Jesus and himself became a Jesus follower. You can read about this in Acts chapter 9. And then Paul's conversion became a catalyst for an entire lifetime to his death of apostolic missionary service in which he started a slew of churches in and around the Mediterranean Basin. One of those churches was the church at Corinth, which was a very metropolitan port city, very pluralistic port city, which at the time was the capital of the Roman province of Achaia, or Achaia, however you want to pronounce it. Today we're thinking southern Greece. You can read about Paul's first visit to Corinth in Acts chapter 18, a relatively lengthy visit, which lasted a year and a half, approximately 49 to 51 AD. And after his departure from Corinth, he spent three years in Ephesus. There he wrote his first letter to the Corinthians, a letter dealing mainly with sexual immorality, which is now lost. We don't have it anymore. And because that letter was somewhat misunderstood, Paul, now he's still in Ephesus, wrote a follow-up letter, the book in our Bibles called 1 Corinthians, which deals with various divisions in the church, as well as matters of immorality and idolatry. In approximately 55 AD, Paul left Ephesus to make a brief check-in visit to Corinth, mainly because a growing number of people in Corinth were beginning to disparage Paul and the gospel message that he was preaching. And the logic for their disparagement was essentially this. Check this out. Paul doesn't look physically very impressive. He's not a particularly eloquent speaker, which he wasn't. Plus, he's experiencing all kinds of afflictions. Are we really sure this guy is legit? Is this the spiritual leader we're really looking for? Don't we want the prosperous, highly charismatic guy? I was reading that live, like, wow, what hilarious 
spiritual immaturity, right? Good thing we do not wrestle with this at all in our day, right? We want the humble guy, not the powerful celebrity. When Paul arrived in Corinth to deal with this situation, the Corinthians were very hostile to him, and the visit ended up being terribly, mournfully painful for Paul. So Paul returned to Ephesus, and he wrote them a third very severe letter that is now also lost. That letter, delivered to the Corinthians by Paul's ministry buddy Titus, thankfully it hit some spiritual pay dirt, which led to a substantial amount of repentance in the Corinthian church, which reestablished some receptivity to Paul and his spiritual authority. When Titus came back to Paul with this news of spiritual reformation, by this time Paul had made his way from Ephesus to Macedonia, Paul was encouraged, and he decided to write the Corinthians a fourth letter, which is contained in our Bibles as 2 Corinthians. He wrote this letter around 56 AD, and then he subsequently returned to Corinth for a third visit where he eventually wrote the book of Romans about a year later. Now we come to our first reflection, the character of God and the presence of suffering. The salutation, the greeting, at the beginning of 2 Corinthians is brief by Paul's standards, but still contains this, this prayer, this, this blessing that Paul uses in the greeting of all of his biblical letters, although his letters to Timothy add the word mercy. Look at this greeting in verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints, that is, with all the set-apart and a people of God, who are in the whole of Achaia. And now here's the prayer, verse 2. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Recently I saw God's grace rightly described as his welcoming outstretched arms to sinners who have put their hope in Christ Jesus. Mercy is more along the lines of, of debt payment, debt canceling. Grace is the welcoming. It's the open arms. So Paul's prayerful desire, and really his expectation, is that believers in Corinth and in all of Achaia would experience God's welcome. Not just know about it intellectually, they would experience it in such a powerful way that they would truly enjoy the spiritually restful peace that they have with God that transcends their external circumstances. He starts every letter with that same prayer, that same desire. And by the way, a very major theme in Paul's letters, even though it's not explicit right here, is that our vertical experience of peace with God should lead to horizontal peace with one another, which is far more than mere tolerance. 
This was a, a critically important consideration for the Corinthians, given that Corinth, as I said, was this, this cosmopolitan city full of people from various walks of life, including Jews and Greeks and Romans of various socioeconomic statuses and religious persuasions and so forth. Opportunities for conflict and, and division within the church abounded and became a very pervasive reality, thus the occasion for 1 Corinthians, as we mentioned earlier. And unless you've been living underneath a rock for the past few years or so, you know that this is a critically important consideration for us. Experiencing the welcome of God, check this out, means that we should be welcoming one another on such a spectacular scale that we can encounter a fellow believer in the grocery store who voted differently in the presidential election and still be genuinely glad to see them. That's what people experiencing the welcome of God do to one another. I could get really going on that point, but let's move on to verses 3 and 4, which gets us into the meat of what we're talking about this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Church, when, when we, that is the spiritual children of God, people who have put their hope in Christ Jesus, when we experience the crucible of suffering in difficult circumstances, the following two things are blessedly true of God the Father and His character. Are you ready for these wonderful things? Number one, He's the Father of mercies, essentially compassion. And then number two, He's a God of all comfort. He's a father of mercy. That means he's, he's exceedingly compassionate in all circumstances. And number two, he's a God of all comfort. Why might Paul worshipfully express these two attributes of God when there are dozens more that could likewise be discussed? Because suffering people tend to forget or disbelieve exactly these two things and because people who are watching other people suffer tend to forget or disbelieve those same two things. When, when the rain clouds come, I, and I mean everybody has experienced at least one of those clouds in these past couple of years, universal affliction and suffering. When the rain clouds come, how often do we associate our experiences with a very punitive understanding of God's character. Gosh, I guess I've, I've really blown it this time. I suppose I'm getting my, my just desserts, you know, karma. And then we, we tumble spiritually into this darkness of self-deprecation and guilt, which compounds the misery of the suffering that we are already experiencing. And how often do we believe that approaching God will be bothersome to him, or simply just ineffective? 
Or how about when other people suffer? Yeah, that sounds about right. They kind of had it coming, didn't they? I, I know that's awfully cold. I hope that sounds cold. But if we're being honest, sometimes those thoughts, they drift into our hearts. Now, can the Father use our suffering to correct his spiritual children and help us grow spiritually? Absolutely. We'll come back to this later, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. But the Father never punishes his children with suffering. He never punishes his children with suffering, nor is he bothered by our approaches in times of need. Why? Because he's the Father of mercies. He's the Father of mercies. That's who he is. Mercy lies at his very heart. And accordingly, he has a mercy available, or you might say he has some sort of compassion available for every need we might encounter in any affliction. Dane Ortland talks about this in his book, Gentle and Lowly, which we read together as a church this past year in our community groups. Here's, he's, he's quoting here the, um, from the Puritan preacher Thomas Goodwin. Check this out. This is Thomas Goodwin in the book, Gentle and Lowly. As large and as various as our ones might be, so large and various are his mercies. Thus we may come boldly to find grace and mercy to help us in time of need, a mercy for every need. All the mercies that are in his own heart he has transplanted into several beds in the garden of the promises where they grow. And he has an abundance of variety of them, suited to all the variety of the diseases of the soul. In church, not only does the Father have this garden, he actually wants us to come to it and harvest. That is the whole point of having is not decorative. Whatever your afflictions, whatever your needs, come. The Father wants to minister to you with his compassionate heart. Wants to. And as Colin Cruz points out, the Father will do one of two things when you come to him. He will comfort you either by taking you out of the affliction that you're experiencing or by giving you encouragement in the midst of the affliction that allows you to endure. So come with your exhaustion, and he will give you this deep and abiding rest. Come with your chronic pain, and he'll either heal it or he'll give you the strength to endure it. And he'll point you toward the new city, Jerusalem, Whereas he promises, pain and suffering will be no more. And then, and then come with your guilt. And if you're in Christ, the Father will remind you that his son Jesus bore your sins in his body on the cross. And so there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And therefore, no element of punitiveness in your afflictions. The Father does not hold his his children, at arm's length. He actually brings them in. And therein lies true comfort, simultaneously powerful, overwhelmingly powerful, but also gentle. 
not primarily because our external circumstances will change, although he can do that if he wants to, but primarily because we'll be with him and experience his loving consolation and his peace. And Paul was so confident that the Corinthians would experience this comfort that he writes in verse 7, our hope for you, our meaning basically, he's talking about himself here, it's like this apostolic we, our hope, in other words, my hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you know, whenever that might be, you will also share in our comfort. Now, I'd imagine there might be some significant skepticism about these claims, especially from those of you encountering severe afflictions in such a way that God does not seem to be merciful or comforting, perhaps on account of him allowing the afflictions. In the first place, if that describes you, I get it. And there are probably some, some very long conversations that need to be had to flesh all of this out. But in the meantime, consider this. Two things. Here's the first one. Paul was not quoting from a textbook. He did not look up suffering and a theology manual, and then just regurgitate the party line in order to make God look good. Paul actually experienced God's mercy and comfort in a relentless season of suffering that he describes like this in verses 8 and 9. For we, and again, Paul is basically referring to himself here, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, which we actually don't know very much about, but he experienced Severe affliction in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. That is as bad as it gets. And yet Paul personally experienced God's mercy and comfort in the thick of those afflictions. So much so that he's still talking about that mercy and comfort. Which gives us so much hope. I mean, doesn't it? Even if you're barely treading water right now. I know that describes some of you. Even if you're barely treading water right now, it is possible to experience the comforting, merciful grasp of the Lord in the midst of your circumstances. For sure. Paul's Autobiography, it proves it. It's, it's irrefutable testimony. And this is apparently what Paul is talking about in verse 6 when he writes that if we are afflicted, it is for your, that is, the Corinthians' comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So basically, he's saying, Corinthians, when you suffer, both on account of Christ and in otherwise, you can remember my experiences of God's comfort in the midst of affliction and then press into the Lord in such a way that you will likewise be comforted. And one more thing. I said there were two things to the skeptics. That's the first one. Here's the second one. Were it not for various afflictions, in difficult circumstances, I'm not really sure that we would experience God's comforting presence, at least not the full measure. 
Without suffering, here's what I think would happen. We'd live our lives pretty much unaware of God, using our own power and our own resources to fix whatever minor inconveniences happen to flutter our way. This is not a perfect illustration, but I'm going to use it anyway. Like most parents, I do not try to eliminate all risk for my kids. I don't. I let them play on the playground, which is, you know, fraught with danger these days. They could trip and fall. Sometimes they do trip and fall. They can get in little arguments with other kids. Sometimes they do get in little arguments with other kids. I let them play organized sports, even though they can and do have very difficult days on the field. I expose them to risk. I expose them, therefore, to a certain amount of affliction. But then they come to me, or my wife, let's be honest, usually my wife, for comfort. And you know what happens? Those moments intensify the emotional bonds we have with our kids more than anything else. More than anything else. So suffering is awful, and yet, when we come to our Heavenly Father as we suffer, it opens the door for us to experience God's comforting presence like nothing else. Like nothing else. It doesn't guarantee this experience. Some people run away from God in the midst of their pain. But I will tell you that when I read biographies, of Christians who have suffered a lot, yet pressed on in the Lord, it becomes really clear that they have experienced God's presence more profoundly and more joyously than just about anybody else. Elizabeth Elliot is a really good example of this. They've suffered more and lost more in an earthly sense, but They've also enjoyed God more, and God is more enjoyable than anything else in the universe. Think on that for a minute. It doesn't mean that we go out there and, and then try to suffer, but if we're doing everything we can to avoid it, if we're pursuing a life of, of comfort and ease, our experience of God will be rather thin. It won't be very meaningful. And we won't really enjoy him. I can tell you that. I'm actually starting to steal some thunder from our second reflection, so let's get into it now. The purposes of God and the presence of suffering. We've talked about the character of God and the presence of suffering. What about the purposes of God and the presence of suffering? Scripture does not give the impression that we should expect to understand the whys of a specific set of difficult circumstances, like 9-11 or the COVID pandemic. That's not the expectation. But in Scripture, we do learn some things, broadly speaking, about God's purposes in the presence of whatever kind of suffering you might be experiencing. And Paul wants you to know that one of those purposes is this. Suffering pushes us beyond ourselves. It, it decenters me. It decenters you. 
That's one of God's purposes in the midst of suffering. One of the reasons we wrestle so much with suffering here in the cultural West, and I have heard other authors, and I, I tend to agree with this, that probably the modern West struggles more with suffering than any other culture in global history. One of the reasons we wrestle so much with suffering is that it messes with our sense of autonomy and control. We hate, in our day, interruptions to our feelings of self-sufficiency and, and progress, as if we could eventually leave God in the dust and become a truly advanced society. And Paul would respond to all of that saying, well, yeah, that's kind of the point. That's one of the things that suffering does, is it, it messes with that feeling. Our text shows us at least two ways in which God uses suffering to push us beyond ourselves, outside of ourselves. You can see the first way in verse 4. The Father comforts us in our affliction, Paul says, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You follow this logic. When we suffer, if we press into God, we experience God's comfort. And then, when we experience God's comforting presence, the idea is that we would employ that experience to bless other people who are likewise suffering. So like it or not, suffering equips us to be ministers of the Father's mercies to other people. You go out and you testify concerning the work of God and his mercies in the midst of your own seasons of affliction and suffering. It equips us to powerfully love our neighbor, not with, you know, kind of the ridiculous platitudes, but, but with the very heart of God. Not, not, you know, oh, condolences to you and yours, having gained another set of wings. Not that stuff. Now you get to console people with God-centered compassion that actually helps hurting people. You have to be like a Pez dispenser of the Father's mercies to other folks. And by the way, that, that one another stuff, that, that one another mentality, that is the mission. You know, not, not the American dream, not radical self-interest. So our suffering actually serves our God-given mission to love God and love our neighbor by being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. It does not contradict that mission. It actually serves that mission, which is fascinating. And here's the second way that suffering pushes us beyond ourselves. Look at verses 8 and 9. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. How's that for a sentence? Goodness. If you're a very cynical person, you can think of it like this. This is for the cynics. In God's mercy, the misery of suffering delivers us from the far greater misery of self-reliance. It saves you from spending your entire life 
frantically trying to deadlift a Ford 150 and thinking that you will actually be successful if you just keep working at it. It saves you from that misery. If you're a more optimistic person, you can think of it like this. This is for the optimists. In God's mercy, suffering pushes us to take seriously the words that we hear from Jesus in Matthew 11, 28 and 29, when Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So, suffering, rightly received, brings us to the end of ourselves in such a way that we realize that Jesus is the only means of finding true and abiding rest. As we said earlier, were it not for our afflictions, we would not come to the Father. We wouldn't. Were it not for our afflictions, we would not come to the Father. But when we come, we get comfort from God who raises the dead. Don't you love how Paul just like kind of tossed that in there? You come to this guy who, by the way, raises the dead. In the weakness of our suffering, we encounter God's resurrection strength, not just some generic strength, resurrection strength. Resurrection strength that remains active though Christ has already been raised. Resurrection strength that remains to deliver and to restore, in part now, but in full later, when Christ returns. Listen, I realize I haven't actually done a lot of preaching this morning about the how-tos and the what's. We're just going all in on the heart. Because my sense, here's my sense of how the past couple of years has been going. A lot of people were trying to lift the F-150 on their own and thinking that they were getting somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then the suffering of the past couple of years kicked in to whatever degree you might be experiencing. And then now you have the suffering over here and you're still trying to lift the flipping truck. It is double misery. You have the misery of these afflictions and yet some of us are still trying to do it on our own. We're not resting at all in Jesus. So far from being some sort of scolding session, this, this is an invitation to say, can we, can we please like divert over here and, and put the truck down and come to the Father who wants to flood you with his mercies. And you know some of the ways that you do that. We, you know, corporate community, scripture reading, prayer, fasting. We've talked about this. But my desire this morning is to mainly say, listen, the, the, the affliction while trying to, to lift the weights on your own thing is just not going to work. It's a double misery. That's this invitation that we have from Paul this morning to enjoy the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. And he will deliver us. This is Paul in verses 10 and 11. This is Paul's reflection. 
He delivered us from such a deadly peril. He's talking here about the afflictions he experienced in Asia. And he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us yet again. He's delivered people before. He's going to deliver us again. Some of our immediate painful circumstances might endure for a very long time. But at the very least, one day, we will be delivered. We will be with God the new heaven, the new earth, the new city, Jerusalem, I say we might as well start enjoying that now. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was to be betrayed, shared a meal with his disciples. During that meal, he took the bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, given for you, broken for you. Do this whenever you eat of it in remembrance of me. Then in a similar manner, after the meal, Jesus took the cup, and as he poured it, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. And the Apostle Paul, actually, in the letter he wrote to the first Corinthians, says, often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. In other words, Afflicted people are actually coming to the Father to receive mercy upon mercy and to be comforted. So will you come and experience the Father's comfort and mercy this morning? That's what we're doing. Now, he's not going to comfort you in your sin. If you have some things that you need to confess that you know are kind of like clanging around in your heart, won't you confess those this morning? Bring those into the light so you can freshly experience the grace of God. In Christ, but once you come, enjoy the Father's mercy, enjoy the Father's comfort. I'm going to pray, and then after I pray, um, there'll be an elder or deacon on either side of this table, and when you're ready, simply come uh, in a line, and then they'll each have a basket with a, a communion packet in it, and they'll take that packet and they'll drop it into your hand. There's also a basket on the hospitality table in the back that you can use as well if you'd prefer that. If you're a follower of Jesus, come. If you're not a follower of Jesus, number one, would you actually repent and put your hope in Christ and enjoy the Father's mercy this morning? I would love to talk with you more about that. But if you're thinking, you know what, I need more time to reflect on this. I'm not sure yet. Instead of taking these elements that you don't believe in, we would encourage you to reflect more in your seat. Let me pray. Lord, we are grateful for this time that you've blessed us with to consider the most amazing possible thing that you can consider, which would be the, the mercy and the comfort that we have from you, God. Um, I do pray that it would be freshly invigorating to us this morning and give us um, hope, Father, in a season of lots of confusion and pain. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
is our hope in life and death. Christ alone, Christ alone, what is our only confidence that our souls to Him belong? Who holds our days within His hands? What comes apart from His command? And what will keep us till the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess Christ our hope and life and
you stand with us as we sing? Let's go. 
salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Oh God, you are my living wonderful worshiping with you this morning. I do hope that you will press into uh, the mercies of the Father and enjoy his comfort, even this very afternoon. Um, and on that note, hear this benediction, and we'll sing the doxology together. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Amen. Amen. Go in peace.